This morning, uh, about eight or nine months ago, I took an opportunity during a sermon series to share some family business with each and every week. And so this morning, I want to start out with some of that, some family business. So if you're visiting with us this morning, you get a kind of glimpse into a little bit of the family workings of our church uh, and, uh, and what we have going on currently right now as a church. Uh, over the last few weeks, uh, we, I've shared with you that, uh, that Becca, our children's director, is leaving us. She graduates here in about a week now. Uh, which is amazing, and she's moving on to work with the homeless a little bit more in line with her human services degree uh, that she's graduating with. Um, And so with that, there's really two challenges. I've shared with you guys that uh, she's leaving, and as you could see, we have tons of kids. Uh, On average, just so you know, we're 70, 80 adults on a Sunday, and we're like 50 kids under the age of nine. So huge numbers, uh, ratio way off as what it should be, uh, but uh, we're a, a, a fertile group. So uh, lots of kids, lots of kids is what we have. So uh, with that, there's, there's, two-fold cha- there's a two-fold challenge I have. Uh, one is you've heard me say that this is an opportunity for us as a church to step up and serve. Um, over the last year, we've been trying to form a cohesive children's ministry team of people to lead this ministry, even with Becca in place, uh, it hasn't really come to be yet. And so over the last couple weeks, as we found out that Becca was leaving us, we've really worked hard uh, to form, uh, to start to form that leadership team. Uh, super encouraged that that, 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 that is forming. Uh, people who are stepping up into leadership positions and picking up pieces of, of the ministry that Becca uh, is doing. So I'm really excited about, about that, about these people that are stepping up to fill some roles. And if that's something that maybe you can do, I'd love to talk to you, or Allison would love to talk to you as well as we form this team of, of uh, people. And if, if children's ministry is something that's been on your heart, but you haven't stepped in and served yet, this is a great opportunity, a great time for you to come uh, to our aid as a church to uh, hold babies or work with the twos and threes or the fours and fives or the six and ups. Um, one, one thing that is really great and really actually incredibly healthy about our service in our children's ministry is if you do that, you do it once a month. So if you hold babies, you hold babies once a month. If you uh, teach in the classrooms, uh, you teach once a month, unless there's somebody who cancels and some people are willing to serve a couple, two times. Uh, but that's something that we really hold on to. And so uh, excited. That's the first fold challenge. Be praying for that. Be praying for the leadership team. Be praying for the people who are stepping up. Uh, be praying for maybe an opportunity for you to step in and serve in that role as well. Uh, the second fold challenge of that is, in a perfect world, uh, I would love, and, and Becca was hired at like 13 hours a week, I would love to not bat an eye and just hire somebody, probably even somebody from within our church at 13 hours a week to step in and uh, fill the role that she had as a children's director. Uh, why we are not doing that uh, is that we are not in a financial position to do that as a church. And so the second fold challenge for you is, is just that. How might you be able to help us? And this is something that we've talked about. Uh, like I said, about eight or nine months ago, I sat down at a coffee table and shared with you guys where we're at financially as a church. We've come a little ways since then, but still, as a church, financially, we aren't sustainable. Um, and that's just kind of the truth. Uh, and so I share with you that because on more than one occasion over these last few weeks, people have said, hey, church is fine, right? Well, financially, we're not. 
But uh, are we trusting in God? Yes. Is he going to provide? He always has provided. I can only trust in that faith that he has provided provided in the past and he will in the future if it wasn't for people who graciously gave outside of our church i don't know that we'd have a church right now but they have and we continue to go and we continue to push forward and i tell you what uh, we are doing things as a church for this community that the whole community recognizes and so uh in my heart there's no doubt in my mind that that god is going to provide and we're going to move forward in this uh, my human side of me, and, and I was just encouraged to just kind of openly share with you guys at the beginning for this, of this time, is that I don't know what to do. Um, you know, every week, if you didn't know, we print it in the bulletins. Uh, nine months ago, we sent out a letter to everybody, uh, as well as we're starting quarterly financial letters. Uh, I preach about it only a couple times a year. Maybe I'll start doing that more. If that scares you, I'm sorry. Um, but I'm actually not sorry. Um, but, uh, and I've even had a lot of personal conversations with a lot of you, sat down and said, hey, this is where we're at as a church financially. And so I feel, and what God's been really working on me in my heart is the authority that he's given me in the position that I'm in, to just openly share with everybody, this is where we're at. And that way you know. And then you can work that out with God personally, one-on-one, and, and, and ask him how that affects you. So uh, that's, that's what I have for us. Uh, this morning on the family side of things, but what's great about this is, is this morning we're actually going to talk about that. We're going to talk about finances. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, our money. Uh, and I, here's the deal: as ha- these these weeks are the hardest for me. You can ask my wife. Uh, there there there's added stress to the week in doing this, and I don't even know why. I mean, I think it, it's obviously the human side of me in that uh, it's all throughout Scripture, even specifically in Proverbs, uh, cover to cover, uh, it talks about this. Uh, and then there's the stereotypes that I tell myself that you guys are all thinking about. Oh, there he goes, talking, asking about money again and talking to us about money. He always is doing that. Kind of far from the truth. But here's the deal. With the amount of time, the amount of, uh, the amount of times that Jesus talks about money over other subjects within the church, it's absolutely incredible. Over many, more times than he talks about grace, more times than he even talks about love. He talks about money and finances in, in some way or another. In, 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 in the position that we're at culturally and in just in the position that we're at in, in our reliance on money, uh, our devotion to money, how much money uh, rules our lives. Honestly, like if you think about it, even as you watch these shows where these uh, minimalists are living out in, in Nowheresville, there's everything that they have is still bought. It still requires money to live. And so the, the, the amount our lives revolve around money, we should talk about it a whole lot more than we do. Um, and, and even if you think about it, all the opinions that are out there, right? Uh, all the opinions, uh, we have biblical principles and biblical truth. The Bible is really clear on uh, how we're to handle our finances. We have tons of financial guidance people all over. Us as a church, we... Uh, we really promote Dave Ramsey. We've taught his course, I don't know, four or five times uh, here, Financial Peace University, and he's a great resource, does free podcasts and everything. Uh, that's who we support. Uh, you, have your, uh, you have the TV. Uh, up in those upper channels, there's tons of financial guidance things and, and infomercials that you can watch about spend nine, you know, all this money, and we'll tell you how to earn money, which is actually make something and then sell it like they're doing. Um, but uh, there's, there's that. 
There's, uh, there's your, maybe your Aunt Pauline or your Grandpa Joe's got a great principle that you've adapted in your life. Your parents, uh, all the books and resources out there with best strategies. You'd think with all that out there, we'd have this figured out. We'd have finances figured out individually. But here's the truth. Finances in our money... Um, with that, marriages continue to uh, be destroyed at the result of financial stress. Uh, young adults and young families, which is the majority of our church, are still weighed down by a mountains, mountains of debt. And many people are overwhelmed or overburdened, all because of money and finances. And if we really, if we really honestly look at Scripture, it's all avoidable. It's all things we can avoid in our lives. The stress and the amount that we're burdened by this. So as we continue this series on the book of Proverbs, it actually would be negligent of me to not talk about finances and, and wealth according to our Proverbs study. Because uh, ultimately, because... It's all throughout the book of Proverbs from chapter 1 on until the end. And my hope is, is that this is going to be a little different in that it's not, uh, not, not going to go exactly like we have in the past when we've talked about money and finances. Uh, in that we're actually going to talk, we will get to some practical ideas. Some real practical uh, steps that we can take uh, to get to financial uh, freedom, really. Uh, but it's also... Finances and giving in biblical concepts, it's not a financial strategy. It's not an investment strategy or an investment equation that we follow. Um, it's actually, it's not even a money issue. Even, even the uh, need that I share with you that we have as a church, uh, it's not a financial issue. It's a heart issue. It's a spiritual issue issue. And, and that's how uh, it is for us as members of the church. It's a spiritual issue for us. It's an issue, uh, it's an issue of trust. It's an issue of generosity. And for us, uh, the idea of uh, talking about biblical, what the Bible says about money is, is sometimes hard to swallow. Like to have a pastor stand up and talk about tithe and giving. And, I mean, that's a hard uh, pill to swallow. But even, even more than that, to uh, use um, these principles and this trust and this heart issue when it comes to our finances to measure our relationship with God, that's, that's even more offensive if you think about it. To, to use that to measure your trust in what God has and will uh, provide for us. To trust in our finances and our money even more than God to say that is to say that my plan's better. I've got a better plan for my money than even God does, who's blessed me uh, with it all. And, and I mean, to, honest, to be honest with you, the, the, the amount that our lives revolve around money, I don't know that there's a better way to measure our relationship with God and our trust in who is. So I want to challenge you today. I want to challenge you to take a look at the scriptures. Specifically in Proverbs is where we're going to be. We're going to 
jump out just for a second and, and, and kind of color it in a little bit, but uh, and, and ultimately for you to, to look at and achieve what it is that God has for you. What it is that God's saying to you about where you've placed him in his trust, in your trust that you have in him. Uh, we're going to start in Proverbs 3. Uh, we're going to be in Proverbs, so even if you open up your book, uh, your Bible, the Proverbs, there's Bibles in the back as well. Uh, you're allowed to use your phone to look it up as, as well too. But Proverbs 3, 9 and 10 says this. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of your crops. Then your barns will be filled overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. Now, uh, I don't think I have to ask this question, but I want to ask it anyways. Uh, I remember, I think we had a visitor come in and say, how many of you are car salesmen? And, uh, and uh, Jarette in the back was like me, and so it was embarrassing. Uh, but uh, <laughs> but uh, good thing it was a visitor, it wasn't me. I love you, Jarette. Um, but uh, how many of you are farmers? <laughs> Sarah grows plants in her house, not a farmer. Uh, thanks for contributing, though. Uh, so that's what I thought. No farmers in uh, the room uh, for us. And so um, that's just what I thought. So a, a few places in the Bible, throughout the Bible, it talks about this idea of first fruits. And so since there's no farmers in here, I want to give, give some context to what biblical first fruits were uh, according uh, to Scripture. Uh, it's, it's the same as it is now as it was back then in that uh, there's seasons in which uh, crops are produced. And in these uh, seasons, uh, there's different agricultural stages of these crops being produced in order to get to um, first fruits or the first harvest. Uh, there's a time of harvest, and that's where you harvest your crop. It produces a, a, a sellable product that then you sell and get money for. Now, that's the, that's the money part of the whole process. That's the only part that produces the money. The rest of the seasons uh, for farmers, they're just spending and preparing and living off of what they had in that little area, in that little time of, of, of crops. All right? Then there's the time of tilling and preparing the land. Right? If you've made a garden or if you've just even had plants in your house, you know that there's stuff you have to do. You have to continually water and you have to even maybe add miracle grow and things like that to your, uh, to your plant. But there's preparing. But then if you planted anything, there's also times of planting, of putting the seed in the ground. Uh, and then there's the time of the magic of everything that happens under the soil. And let, the human body is an amazing thing in itself, but that is also amazing. Like you just put a seed in the ground and then this thing, out of that little seed grows up and it's like, what? God designed that. It's amazing. Uh, but there's that. And I tell you what, it just takes tons of discipline and diligence for farmers who produce crops. And then comes the harvest time where you, uh, you realize uh, you know, even back then, though, uh, they didn't have uh, the irrigation systems we have these days. Like the pipes and the things on wheels and the uh, pipe in the water wherever you want it on your fields. They didn't have those poop shooters that they got in, uh, in uh, Linden that you smell. Yeah, I said that in my sermon. Uh, you can hashtag that. I don't know. Um, but anyways, they didn't have all that. So they didn't have the, uh, the, the, all the nutrients and the things that they added to the crops to make them grow or... The, I don't even know, I'm not a farmer, but the, all the stuff that they had to make these things happen. They didn't have that stuff. But uh, they had to trust 
that that crop would produce. And they wouldn't see the magic underneath the soil, but they had to trust that that harvest would come in. And that drought wouldn't set in and completely ruin their crop. Or that a storm wouldn't come in and drown out their crop. Some of the stuff now that we use technology to avoid that uh, in, in, in crops. And then after that, there'd be a reward. There'd be a first harvest. I have a friend who owns a blueberry farm out in the county, Eastview Blueberry Farms. We pick there every year. Uh, it's not the nicest as in like everything's groomed and well-maintained, but it's a great place to go pick blueberries. So uh, if you want to support somebody I know, Eastview Blueberry Farms uh, is a great uh, spot. But in talking to them and even in lining up times to go pick and when they're, when they're allowing you picks and all that kind of stuff, uh, there's a first harvest. Then there's second harvest. Then there's a third harvest. And there's a fourth harvest. There's different stages as these berries in any crop produces in time. Everything doesn't ripen to perfection right at the right time and you harvest it all and then you'd be done. There's different stages to it. So after all that trust and all that uh, diligence and waiting and, and thinking uh, and, and just hoping and praying that these crops wouldn't be ruined and then the anticipation season, anticipation season where the money from the harvest last year is dwindling out and you've got to get the harvest because, I don't know, maybe the harvest machine is on its last leg and it needs some work. Maybe, I don't know. But you haven't had money and you're running out of money, these farmers. And, and then the first harvest comes in. And what happens culturally at that time, first fruits, first harvest would happen. And out of that first harvest... They would give a tenth. A tenth of, not the first harvest, but a tenth of what would be a normal crop for the whole entire year. Whatever they think, whether it be a bumper crop or it be a, 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 you know, a lesser crop maybe that year, they would give out of that first harvest the entire tithe. Tithe being 10%. And, uh, and that would be just so that they would anticipate what would happen. So first fruits, first fruits are off the top. That's your first blank in your outline. They're out of our firsts. And, and this idea and this illustration of first fruits is an act of worship. And really, it can apply to all things uh, in our life, all areas of our life. And, and what I might say right now might be a little tough for people to hear, but uh, there's really no way around it. The idea of first fruits and tithe is 10%. 10% of what you acquire first, right off the top before anything else. See, if we, uh, if we don't give out of the first, uh, we, do not get, we do not give when there's no room. We do not give when there's no room. And that idea is if, if we give out of what's left over in our life, when we get to the end, is there anything left over? No, usually not. We've allocated and moved things around and, 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 and put all of our finances in a certain order and it's got a purpose and a place and we end up, if we don't give out of the first, there's no room because there's nothing left in the end. And where we struggle out as a church financially is in that concept. That concept of, uh, and, and here's the question that, uh, and the challenge is part of this that I have for you. Where in your life, anywhere, where in your life do you give your first fruits? 
Where in your life do you give your first fruits? Is it with your finances? For us, uh, there's a few, pe- few of us in the room that do. Uh, but for the most part, truth is, we don't. Uh, but even more than that, where in your life, in any other place, do you give out of your firsts to God? We are a church that actually blows the percentage of service in people we have serving in our church out of the water. Most churches waver around 20 or 30% of the people on an average Sunday attendance serve in some way in their church. As a church, our service level is more like 60, 70, or 80% of the people that serve, that attend here out of our Sunday attendance, serve in some way. Serve in either uh, children's ministry or the different groups we have going on, the different activities, the different programs. I mean, we, our program for our church is a lot bigger than we are as a church. And it's because there's so many people who are willing to step up and serve. But even my question with that is, the time that you spend in serving, is it out of your firsts? For me, probably not so much. For you, that's the question. Is that funny? No. Uh, it, that's the question. It's even in your service to God, is it, uh, is it out of convenience? Like, oh, I don't have anything else going on this week, so I'm going to go ahead and go to church. Or uh, I've got some extra time left over, so now I'll serve or I'll, I'll contribute in this way. Because there's so much that even takes from our time. And we've got work and family and uh, laundry and cooking and things. I mean, necessity, we all got to eat and And so, out of all that time, is there any left over for us to give to God? Or is it our first in our times where we take the time, first thing every morning, to pray? Or even in our workplaces, there's opportunity to give of our firsts. And so my question is for you, where in your life do you give out of your firsts? And what about your finances? Do you give out of your firsts? Are you giving out of your first fruits back to him what he has given to you. Proverbs 21, 21 20 says this, and the house, the house of the wise are stores of choice food and oil, but a foolish man devours all that he has. And I love this Proverbs because there's really a twofold lesson in it for us. Uh, there's the lesson of that second half, which really relates to what I just talked about. A foolish man devours all that he has. Um, and, and how true is that for us? That if we don't allocate our, 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 our finances, and in this time, food and oil was really the currency of the day, was part of the currency of the day. If we don't allocate our finances, we just devour. And that's one of the biggest principles you learn in, in, in the financial peace classes and just even managing your money is if you don't manage it, it's gone. You just devour it. It's gone. You're like, well, where'd my money go? Right? Giving out of our first uh, uh, requires us to put God in the right position and provide, and, 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 it, and it actually allows us to trust that he will provide uh, what is needed. Trusting in our riches, on the other hand, uh, is not in God and is the act of really holding on to it ourselves and saying that, man, I know how to handle my finances even better than God does. Finances, we, uh, we ask ourselves, where did the money go? Or even, man, it seems like something always comes up. And the truth is, something does always come up. It does. Something comes up. 
And the second idea I pull out of this text is just this. In the house of the wise are stores of choice food and oil. Really the currency of the day. And oftentimes it's, it's portrayed that for us as Christians that we shouldn't have a lot of money. That we shouldn't have big bank accounts. That we should just be giving and giving and giving and giving. And I would say that is not true. That actually there's nothing against, and you can write however you want to write it, stacks, piles. If we stay with scripture, we can say stores. There's nothing against storing up money in preparation for what is to come. But here's the deal. As long as it's uh, treated, as long as you don't treat your stacks as that's what you're pursuing, pursuing in your life. As long as uh, you do with that what God would want you to do. Giving where he asks you to give. Glorifying with how you live. It's, in, uh, it's when your stacks of money become your desire that you're not seeking God. You're seeking them. Proverbs 10, 15 says, the wealth of the riches are, or the wealth of the rich are their fortified city, but poverty is the ruin of the poor. In the beginning, the wealth of the riches is a fortified city. I don't know about you, but when I read that, I read security. I read protection. I read uh, what if that rainy day comes? It's, it's, it's the security in having that, that you can weather the storm. So there's nothing in Scripture that is against having money. And actually, if we read out of 1 Timothy, the other side of the misnomer of that wealth and accumulation, 1 Timothy 6, 5 through 10 says this about uh, people who are struggling with this. The constant friction between people of corrupt mind who have been robbed of their truth, who think that godliness is the means of financial gain. Godliness is the means of financial gain in 1 Timothy. That's that idea of, if I give 10, God's going to give me 100 back. That is not true. That's uh, prosperity gospel. That's, you know, like, I, I in, 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 in my faith and trust in God, is, gonna, is going to produce the stacks of money that I want. Uh, that isn't part of that. Uh, but godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and we will take Nothing out of it. Truth statement there. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall. So when you seek after riches and not God, we don't allow God any room in our finances. Into temptation and a trap into uh, many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. That's 1 Timothy 6.10. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. That does not say money is the root of evil. The love of money is the root of evil. Some people uh, eager, and this is uh, the second half of 10, some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Those who have not placed their faith and trust in God with their money ultimately aren't putting him in the right place. Giving out of our first fruits displays our trust in and thankfulness to God. Giving out of our first fruits displays our trust in and our thankfulness to God. First fruits is thankfulness. It's showing that our thankfulness to God for all that he's provided for us. That it's, it, it displays the thankfulness we have in that 
all that we are and all that we have is his. Saying that God, it's all God's anyways, all of it. But I work hard for it. Nope, all of it. But I've really saved up a lot. Nope, still God's. But I'm the one that's put it in all the, nope, still God's, all of it. First fruits is trust, trusting that God will provide. The act of giving out of uh, what we acquire is first trusting God. First fruits being the trust, trusting that he's going to continue to provide what we need, even though we give out of our firsts and 10% to him. And it shows uh, how we handle our finances and how God would want us to handle our finances in, in the place that he would want us to put it. Proverbs eleven twenty eight: those who trust in their riches fall, but the righteous will thrive like a green leaf. And righteousness being, uh, being, knowing, and actually doing and acting on that. That's righteousness. Righteousness is not just the simple knowledge of knowing that I should give back to God, but it's actual acting out of giving back to God. And, and, and all throughout the Bible, the, the part of actually giving is teamed up with a lot of things. Uh, the storehouse and the poor and the needy and the afflicted. and I mean, there's tons of errors. The church plays in there and all that kind of stuff. But in Proverbs specifically, it's paired with the poor more than anything else. 1917, whoever is kind to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will reward them for what they have done. And so I did a, a little bit of a study search, a geek out search on my Logos Bible software, uh, on what that word poor derived from. And in and, and, and that and some of the commentaries I read specifically on these verses in Proverbs, uh, poor was linked to spiritual decline. And that's not the spiritual decline in, uh, in that uh, you became poor from your spiritual decline, but it was uh, spiritually, the spiritual decline, uh, poor spiritually led to downcastness led to helplessness and insignificance. So the idea of poor biblically uh, is, is, is uh, begging and, and having very little, but there's also so much more that is encompassed in that, uh, that definition. So this, in, in, in the stories of Jesus who encounters the poor and their lives are forever changed, those stories, uh, they don't, they don't record that, that the people that Jesus encounters, the poor that Jesus encounters, go on begging and go on being downcast. But it also doesn't depict that they go on to financial gain and success financially. What all of the stories about Jesus encountering the poor go on to do is that from that, the spiritual work of passing on Jesus is accomplished. So Jesus encounters these poor people and lives are changed. Indifference is noted. People, I mean, in Bible it's recorded that people see the difference in the people that, in the, in the people that Jesus encounters. Towns are changed. Geographical locations turn to the Lord based on Jesus' encounter with a poor person. It's, it's more than just the idea of not having money. And so for me, God has really laid it on my heart heavy this week that 
the spiritual poverty in our neighborhood is, is great. That is why God has placed me where he's placed me. There's nobody in Sudden Valley that cares for these people more than I do. And that's why, that's what continually moves me, is the spiritual poverty that's around here, in Sudden Valley and Glenhaven and the surrounding areas is amazing. You don't have to go far to see it. And as a church, we're involved with a bigger network where we do give back to international needs. Uh, CTKs are all over the world. But locally here, CTK Sudden Valley, we're not financially sustainable enough to really mobilize on some of that international uh, game. But we've worked with Lighthouse Mission. And we're actually in, in, in some conversations with them right now of how we can serve, because we do that really well and help the poor in those ways. But God's really laid it on my heart this week that there's not a ministry that I've ever been involved in that is having the impact that we're having right now as a church, that you are having right now as a church, to the spiritually impoverished people that surround us, that are in our neighborhoods. And at a time where our church is having to scale back, having to uh, decrease program and activity, having to decrease really some impact on what we can do. God has, has been laying on my heart, there's so much more for you. When I first uh, applied, you know, I actually applied to be Sudden Valley Community Church's pastor, I said, no, I've never desired to be a head pastor. It's not me. But God broke my heart five years ago in that moment. It took about two weeks, well, it took two weeks for me to hear him. Um, but I still believe that to be the case, that we will change the spiritual landscape through the church, through this little church. And so uh, how do we do that? How do you do that? How do, you, how do we get involved with that? And like I said, it's not a financial issue for us. As much as there is a need, it's a heart issue. It's a personal issue, yes, personally between you and God. But as much as it is a personal issue, it's a heart issue, and it's a priority issue. Proverbs 22.7 says, The rich rule over the poor, and the borrower is slave to the lender. We have become slave to our own life. We have become slave to the customs and the control of our finances. And so what I want to do is I want to look at four basic concepts really quick. We're going to be over today. Uh, I'm sorry because it's really hot in here too. Um, want, number one, the first one is give credit to God, not the card. Give credit to God, not the card. If you, if you have to or buy practical, regular use items on credit and carry a balance, you are a slave to the lender. Learn that really strong in, 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 uh, in Financial Peace University is that if we, are, if we have money, and that's car and credit card payments and all that kind of stuff, we are a slave to that money. Even in our houses, which they would say, no, that's good. That's good. Uh, house house uh, debt is fine. But we become a slave to that. Second one is comparison should only be his. We often, uh, we get caught up in comparing our lives to those that are around us. Uh, we, we want to keep in line or keep up with the Joneses, right? The people that are around us, even if they're considered equal status with us. But what we don't see is how they got to that. Whether it is a mountain of debt in their background or just genuine hard work that's got them to the point that they're out, which there's nothing wrong with that. We become a slave to our situation or the life that we ought to live. The third one is live underneath. 
Uh, I've heard this said many a times, and uh, the idea of you got to live within your means. I would say that that's not good advice. To live within your means isn't the best advice for us. I think I would contend that living underneath your means is where God wants us to live. To make it a point to live underneath where our means are set. And means just being the life that we are financially able to live. To live underneath that means. Because when we live underneath that mean, it allows us to live the way that God wants us to live. And to give the way that God wants us to give. To make a decision to not do something or not have something because the kingdom is that much more important. To live underneath your means. And the fourth is give back control. And practicing all the principles that we've talked about today, making a step to give God back the control of our finances, and that's what he's given us in our life, everything that he's given us in our life. Because it's all his anyways. I want to skip to my last point here. Um, skip over a little bit, but oftentimes you hear me because uh, I, I know that the majority of the time I get things wrong. And the things that I share with you are things that I'm struggling with to apply in my life. But these principles that we talked about today is something that I've gotten right. And uh, in talking about it with Heather this week, these are principles that we adapted when we got married at 22 and 23 years old. And there are times when I was sitting where you guys were sitting that I wish somebody would have pulled me aside and told me these things. But since we've been married, this is something that Heather and I have done from the beginning without fail. And in our marriage, I don't think we've ever had a discussion, a tough discussion. We've, had, we've discussed finances, but that kind of discussion about our finances. When we were younger and we were searching for churches, we put money in an envelope in a dresser in our house. And when we landed at the church, we were able to give a, an envelope full of cash. Or our friends went off on a missions trip and we had an envelope full of cash that we had set aside because we knew from our first we were to give back to God. When we bought our house, we bought our house on a loan that was based on only my Costco salary because we knew that we needed margin in our lives. I don't think we understand it completely what that meant. But in talking about it this week, it allowed us to now do things that we, it's amazing the way God has orchestrated from back then to right now in the position that we're at as a church based on some of the decisions that we made. And, and specifically over about the last year and a half after taking Dan and Susie's financial peace class here, we've never been more free in our finances. And the freedom of not being weighed down. So probably the first time I think I've ever been able to say this. This is something we got right. And, I mean, Heather's offered to talk to people about it. I've offered to talk to Dan and Susie. Great resources. But it's something that has been incredibly true in our lives. And it's only because of God, because it's his. Giving to God is trust and thankfulness, but it also creates freedom and faith in who he is. Let's pray.